0: Hey there, fellow foodies. Dr. Quave here. You're listening to Foodie Pharmacology, the science podcast for the food curious. Today on the show, we're going to have a little bit of fun. I don't know if, like me, you've been watching The Last of Us on HBO, but as someone who really is interested in fungi and plants and kind of survival shows, I just ate it up. So... Um, As the show wrapped up, I I started thinking about, you know, ways we might be able to dive into this. And I was having this great conversation with one of my buddies and colleagues, Dr. Nick Oberlies, you know, and we came to the decision, we should really chat about this. Let's talk about the mushrooms behind the show. So let me introduce you to our guests. I've got Dr. Nick Oberlies. He's internationally recognized as an expert in the chemistry of nature and medicines from natural products. He leads a team of scientists focused on the discovery of new drug leads from nature, He's skilled in the discovery, biological evaluation, structure elucidation, and optimization of natural drug leads. I also have Dr. Yusuf Arraja. He's a research scientist and mycologist, that means someone that studies fungi, um, in the Department of Chemistry and Biochemistry at the University of North Carolina, Greensboro, where he studies fungal diversity and biology. It is so great to have both of you on the show. Um, thanks for doing this with me.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: Yeah,
2: thank you. It's fun. It's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. Well, and uh, you know, this is this is uh, Nick's second time on the show. We also talked about drugs from nature um, before, but we're going to dive in more into this kind of mushroom business. So um, maybe why don't we just back up for a second before we dive into the show and each of you tell us a little bit more about the work that we do. So we know, Yusefa, you are a mycologist. What does that actually mean? Um, I think Nick mentioned that mycologists are kind of like unicorns, very rare to find <laughs> out in the natural habitat of, 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 a, of a lab. So what do you actually do each day?
1: So so mycologists are folks that study fungi, right? So I'm a mycologist. I study fungi. Uh, my interest with uh, uh, in Nick's lab is uh, I'm interested in the taxonomy and systematics of ascomycetes, right? So microfungi, And I'm interested in isolating these fungi from nature. I, I cultivate these organisms in the lab so that we can study the chemical diversity of these microorganisms. So that's basically what I do. I'm I'm also interested in uh, understanding the the, the molecular diversity that these fungi have, right? To to find new species out there, right? The fungal kingdom is basically 90% unknown, right? So I'm interested in finding these unknown fungi to uncover the diversity and the chemical diversity in the lab with me.
0: That's awesome. And so when we get into chemistry, this is where Nick comes in because you are the guru of natural products chemistry in NMR. How do you? How how does your job kind of play into this?
2: Yeah, it's great. I, I should also just add that I think Husefa was a little modest, uh, like many mycologists. You know, the great thing about him, and I think a neat thing about our lab is it's pretty rare to have a chemistry lab and a mycology lab working quite literally, you know, hand in glove. So his lab is right across from the hall where we're also uh, extracting things and getting compounds out of them and all that stuff I talked about in the in the last episode. And the, the great thing about uh, Huzefa is is go hiking with him. Like I know you love to go out and do field work. Uh, a great way to get students involved in science is to take them out in the field. And I mm-hmm. love it when we when we take uh, we go on like nature hikes a couple times a year with my lab and we'll be walking by a stream and Huzefa is, is really one of the world's experts in aquatic fungi. So freshwater there's a limited amount of fresh water on this planet uh, and the, there are fungi in there decomposing things. And, and he's the guy who can like jump in a stream and real quickly start picking up handfuls of samples that we're taking back to the lab. So what do we do in my lab is, so they're going to grow those things. We're going to bring them back or he's going to grow those things back in the laboratory and my lab effectively tests them against a whole bunch of biological assays and then tries to isolate the compounds that have the biological activity and you know the greatest example of this and all of the fungal lore is penicillin um penicillin you know a lot of people say alexander fleming discovered penicillin yeah sort of i mean i don't want to discount what he did he did great work uh but he was really the guy who made the observation that this fungus when interacting with that bacterium seems to be killing that bacterium and there's a series of other people particularly uh, a guy named flory who was the ones who isolated the compounds that 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 did the chemistry you could sort of think of like who doing the the alexander fleming stuff and 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 me and the rest of the chemists in the lab are doing the flory stuff of like let's get that compound and put it in a, in a formula that you could eventually we would hope turn it into a drug so that's what we do in the lab and of course like anybody who has anything to do with fungi ever since hbo came out with this show we're getting phone calls that say um so nick you, you ever seen this show called the last of us I mean, I don't know about you, who's How many, fr- how many of your friends and mycologists have said, "Hey, man, have you checked this
1: out?" I mean, mycology. Everybody is watching it, right? Everybody is very interested in tweeting about it, about it, and yeah, it's definitely on top of everybody's list. I mean, we me, mycologists are extremely excited by the show, right? I mean, I have never seen a show, which was the second episode, where on the on the top of, the bottom of the screen you say mycologist. Oh. How many shows have I seen? I have absolutely seen. No yeah. movies like that, no shows like that. so. I was super excited, and my my colleagues, my friends, they're all excited about it. Yeah.
0: So, so here comes the real question: um, If it, if you were in this show, would you try and chase down one of those, you know, mushroom infested <laughs> people and get a sample to extract and isolate a cool drug from them? I, that would be an interesting Ooh. twist, maybe Ooh, yeah. a little plot twist. <laughs> Throw some natural products chemists into the show along with the oh, mycologist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Now you know I never thought about that. You know this. This I'll, I'll, I'm going to answer the question and say, oh yeah. Now I think Uzefa would say to me, who's going to go get that sample? And I, I can think of a stu- few students who kind of drove us crazy over the years. We might send those guys out. Usually they're guys, by the way. Send those guys out to go get the samples. But uh, no. But kidding aside, uh, I, I think about that show a lot. As I was telling some students recently. Uh, I'm no good with a gun like, you know, I'm I'm not a hunter. I'm no good with target practice. I'm right handed, but I'm left eye dominant. I never learned how to shoot properly. So I'm no good with a gun. I'm definitely no carpenter. Um, but I do think that, like, if the world ends, especially if it was Josefa and I working together, we could find like plants or or bacteria or fungi to work on that we could sort of make medicines for people. So I'd like to believe that we'd be sitting there, you know, in one of those towns where they've built a wall around it, we'd be in a corner coming up with salves and you'd be just as good at it, Cassie. You'd be really good at that as well. So maybe the three of us could all work together and, you know, help rebuild the populace.
0: <laughs> I, I, I like that, and I, I am good with a gun, so I could also help oh. with the defense. <laughs> oh crap! No, that's good. That's good. I'll no. stay behind you. <laughs> there you go. But I, but I'm the slow runner, so I have to be. Oh yeah. Oh, um, yeah. but I guess I guess we should, uh, of course, to any of the listeners out there that are regular listeners of Foodie Pharmacology, if you haven't watched The Last of Us yet. There, there are a lot of spoiler alerts in this episode, so just, oh, yeah. just be, be aware. um Although you may want to watch the show after listening to us chat about it. you kind of break this down. You know, there are people infected with this kind of mushroom, but what, what's the, what's the storyline of the show?
2: You want me to do it as after you want to do it? Yeah,
1: I mean, go for it. Yeah, go. For it.
2: I mean, the basic storyline of the show, and I, I think this is, you know. Episodes one and two, I mean, as Josefa said, I almost passed out from how good it was. I think my family was like way in the other end of the house with me going, you've got to be kidding me at the at the top of my lungs. Uh, because uh, a lot of what the show's premise is on, like any good uh, fiction or sci-fi or whatever you want to call it, has got to have a nugget of truth in it, right? And the nugget of truth is, is that fungi have somehow evolved to now infect humans in a big way. And, and people do die of fungal infections. So there's the nugget of truth. For instance, um, I think when, when you and I were last talking together on a show, I told you that we have a project to study malaria. About a half million people, excuse me, 500,000 people a year uh, die of malaria. It's probably closer to 600,000. I mean, that's a lot. And you, can, you could argue that it, not only is it a lot, it's often children or older people from very disadvantaged places. So there's a lot of work we should be doing in malaria. However, probably about three times that. A paper just recently came out. About three times that are dying of fungal infections. So that's one and a half million. Um, you know, the the I don't even know what the population of is Atlanta, but one and a half million would be a lot of people, right, from where you live. And yeah. And a lot of times, but the thing with fungi, and I think this is the thing that is hard for like the non scientist to really grasp. You might say to yourself, oh, I got a fungal infection. Let me get an antibiotic. An antibiotic works on bacteria. Bacteria are prokaryotes, meaning they don't have all those organelles and things that eukaryotes do. Human beings are eukaryotes. Fungi are eukaryotes, right? So there's this like very similar things between fungi and, and human beings that make them hard to target. For instance, we were talking about penicillin a second ago. Penicillin works on bacteria. You cannot overdose on penicillin. You could take the whole bottle, it'd make you sick, you'd throw up, whatnot, but it wouldn't kill you because it targets something that's really only in bacteria. But fungi and humans are so interrelated and so closely related and use similar machinery in the cell that it's it's really hard to target them. Right, so spoiler alert: they go get a mycologist and say, "Hey, mycologist, can you figure out a way to like treat these fungi?" She doesn't have a good answer for them because there's not a good answer, right? And so going back to what I was saying about 1.2 to 1.5 million people dying of fungal infections, a lot of times it's really hard to count how many people are dying of fungal infections because most of those people have some contraindication; they've got pneumonia. They're immunocompromised because they've got HIV, AIDS. Um, I'm th- what are other things, Suzef? I can't Cancer. Think- Cancer
0: yeah, patients. Well, if you're yeah. undergoing chemotherapy, chemotherapy, I mean, you're... you're
1: yeah. yeah. They're taking, you know, yeah. steroids and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So the yeah. immune system is suppressed. Yeah. That's the key, right, yeah. yeah, well, immune we, system
0: is suppressed. We don't have very many good drugs for fungal infections. I think part of the problem, as you mentioned, is that it's so hard to find something that's selective... to fungi because they're so similar to us on a kind of cellular basis i mean i'm thinking about you know some of the recent uh recent articles that have come also out in the in the popular media around candida auris i mean this is you know the super fungus of all super fungi it has crazy high mortality rates if it gets into your bloodstream um, and it's super, super drug resistant. We actually study that one in my lab, so we've been hunting for drugs for it, and it's not easy. It's not you know? easy, I bet
2: it's you don't not have easy. Many leads, right? You've
0: got we got, got a, a few. We got a few, you yeah. know, the one we have is probably best suited for topical use, but we don't have anything good for systemic use yet. Yes. And, um, there's a big difference because some drugs just don't do well in circulation in the body, so it's not just about finding what works in a petri dish, it's also like how do you get it to work in the bloodstream because that's really where the fungi, you know, when they get to your bloodstream that's when you're going to die of some yeah. of these. Yeah.
2: So, let do you mind if I sort of throw a question up to huzefa cuz I think one yeah. thing we should really think about. So, I I really geek out about like the, sort of the drug discovery aspects and the failed premise of that within The Last of Us. And like anybody, I would love to believe that if like The Last of Us happened, I'd be one of those survivors. Somehow I would survive. I'd find someone who could shoot the gun well, right? Or I'd learn pretty darn quickly. But I I think the other thing is like, it's the first episode, so we're not really giving it away, but the opening the opening of the first episode is like the kind of thing that Josef and I have been writing grants about, uh, that the world is getting hotter, okay? You wanna debate global climate change? I think you've lost that debate. Like, I think the world's getting hotter and the human body is 37 degrees Celsius. Most fungi actually don't grow very well at 37 degrees Celsius, but there are a few that grow like gangbusters is you? you want to talk about that at all from like a yeah. think about it from like your your transects through Florida yeah. and just evolution in general
1: yeah yeah so so for example like you know like Nick mentioned like you mentioned Candida is Cassie uh, you know that fungus loves to grow at 40 degrees C right human temperature is 37 so it is already adapted to really warm temperatures. That's why it's doing so well, right? And and that's that's the problem. That's the main problem I see in general, that all the, the, the candida and other fungi, Aspergillus fumigatus, for example, which is another problem, fungus that causes Aspergillosis. And all these fungi have small spores that'll get into your lungs like Aspergillus can do. And you know it grows really well at 37, so well that overnight you get fungal growth on a Petri dish, right? That is scary right so so the, the global climate change the warming temperatures right and that's the premise of the show right like i mean the world has changed right i mean and 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 you can see this fungus that has now taken over right so definitely uh, something that uh, that uh, not all fungi can do that obviously right but and canada Orris, one of the reasons it's so successful is that it when it when it emerged it was already growing and i and i just read the species description of that the first species description of that fungus. And it says it grows really well at 40 degrees C. So that is something where uh, our human body is protecting us from other fungal species, right? Otherwise, we would be really prone to fungi, right? A lot of fungi can grow really well at 25 to 30 degrees C, right? Whereas aspergillus, Rubicarus, and candida, these can grow at close to human body temperatures. So that's, that's the scary part.
2: Yeah, and if I can just interject, when when Huzefa says like, okay, you take an Aspergillus fumigatus, and we've done this experiment, you put it in a Petri dish, you put it at 37 degrees, you'll fill the Petri dish in a night. Let's contrast that to room temperature. Room temperature might take three, four, possibly five days, right? So, but most other fungi, let's say 90% of fungi, you put them at 37 degrees Celsius, I'm gonna argue that they might grow, but they're not gonna grow really well. They won't look, they won't be robust. They're gonna be weakened, which is probably how your human body fights these things off. They're weakened, you've got an immune system and it can fight it off. But the ones that grow really fast are gonna overtake. You know, when it was during COVID, the last time we talked, it was during COVID. And you know, before we had, um, before we had immunization and all that, people were getting on respirators. And you would hear someone sort of say, well, if I get it, I'll just go on a respirator. Let me tell you, you get on a respirator, you're likely to eventually get some sort of lung infection, possibly a fungal infection. 40% of those, you die, right? So, okay, yeah, I got through my COVID, but now you're dying of some fungal infection, which is super hard to treat. So anyway.
0: Yeah, especially when it infiltrates deeply like that. I mean, I want to, I want to jump to another premise in the show. And this is like the ability of these fungi of, in this case, it's all around this concept of Ophiocordyceps, which is different from the fungi we're talking about right now. Um, But this idea that it could survive in the snow, are there, are there fungi that are like psychrophiles that like cold temperatures? Like how adaptable So We know some of them like Canada R.S. and Aspergillus can go to high, like hot, humid, tropical temperatures, but are there some that survive like, in the arctic i don't know like is that possible even
1: yeah i think so there are fungal species that can uh, that can grow in extremely cold temperatures like when i was doing my phd i had a colleague and uh, uh, we went out and uh, collected fungi uh, aquatic fungi we broke a ton of ice to get into the bottom of the of the stream right and and isolate a fungus called Tetracladium martialianum which is an aquatic fungus so it grows it can grow happily at lower temperatures and there are other strains that will grow in the sol- in in the snow, uh, you know, in in very cold temperatures. So yeah, there are fungi that can have a huge range, and fungi are opportunistic, right? They that's the thing with fungi. It's, you know, I, I sometimes joke with friends like you know, you go to a tropical environment, uh, you, you you know, if you're immunocompromised, you stand and fungus can grow on. You. I mean, you know, I'm I'm from India originally, and I, and I go there, and it's moist and humid, and you know. You very likely you can get a fungal infection there, right? So it, that's that's something happens. And yes, cold temperature, warm temperature, they, they have an entire spectrum of fungal species. That's why they're very diverse. They're very diverse, right?
0: So so yeah. yeah. I- that's amazing. Again, it's like gleaning onto that nugget of truth, like you said earlier, Nick. Like, oh, he needs this little nugget to kind of in and build this 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 fictional story around. Um, okay, so we know that fungi can grow under blocks of ice in the snow. We know that other fungi grow in moist, hot, tropical areas. What do we know, though, about the fungus that they call cordyceps in the show? It's really inspired by Ophiocordyceps, which is a fungus that I guess... Infects certain insects and it kind of explodes from their head. I'm probably not explaining this very well. Maybe you can add some extra but, science behind this, uh, Husefa. Yeah,
1: yeah absolutely. I and mean, Ophiocordyceps. So Cordyceps was an older name. Uh, now they are called Ophiocordyceps. Uh, and you know, you you might have everybody in the audience would have heard of Ophiocordyceps sinensis. Uh, you know, it is one of those caterpillar fun- fungi that grow out of the caterpillar. It is found in the Tibetan plateau. And, and it's used uh, as Chinese medicine, right? Uh, you can buy it. Uh, and, and, and I think the, the it is like almost equal to gold at the price yeah. because it's over harvested there. And, uh, you in, know, in, in fact,
2: the- let me just interject for one second. In fact, it's some people speculate that it is extinct in the wild. It has been so over harvested, right. but it's right. used in this traditional Chinese medicine sort of way. Right.
1: Um, right.
2: But, but it's it's not one that you can grow in the lab very well. You've got to get it from the caterpillar. That's the problem.
1: Right. And then there are there are people trying to grow that, and and, and I, you know they're, they're making efforts to grow it because if it's selling, you know, you, you want to grow it and make money from it, right? So so the one that grows in insects also of your Cordyceps. Basically, it, it infects uh, different orders of insects. About twenty different orders. Uh, there about um, uh, the the estimates are like there are six hundred or so species in the wild, but they've only discovered about two hundred of them. Uh, and they, they they target different kinds of insects right uh, ants for example different species of ants and uh, different kinds of insect orders right and they specialize on them right and then they sort of they're like special uh, specialized killers of these uh, parasites, these insects and killing them in a way that that is like evolutionary specialized right so you have these different species that work on different kinds of species of ants for example if you draw a tree of life, you can see that they have specialized on each of these different insect species, right? So you then they have different fruiting bodies coming out of their heads. Basically, what happens is once the insect gets infected, it sort of comes out of the of the nest. For example, ants they 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 want to weed the infected ants out, right? So they come out, they come out wobbling, and they go on a higher surface which has more tropic, uh, you know humidity. And then from there, they sort of shed their spores, and they feed on the insect's body, essentially, right?
0: So this is like where the idea or the premise of right. infection with this fungus turns you into a zombie. I mean, or that's life. you know, we're talking about like exactly. fungal fungal controlled zombies in exactly. in this show. Exactly. Um, so, so in reality, though, what you're telling me is that when this 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 genus of of fungi infects insects it does kind of take over their it does kind of zombify them they behave differently to get to the optimal areas for the fungus to continue growing it creates a fruiting body and a fruiting body by the way is basically what we think of as as the mushroom top right, right. The, the 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 not the mycelia the mushroom and then poof out come these spores right. and, and infects the next group so that's just wild. I mean, I love, I love how they took that nugget from nature and put it into humans. But right. is it even possible? Like, are are there cases, or is it known if 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 cordyceps or ophiocordyceps can infect a mammal, or is it just restricted to insects at this time? No, I think
1: right now it's only uh, insects. Uh, that, that that idea is kind of far fetched. It's not happened. Uh, but but you know, when you look at fungi. And let me uh, point out that you know zombie-like behavior with ophiocordyceps is only a few species can do that. Not all ophiocordyceps make the um, uh, insect like zombie-like behavior, and they basically take over. They 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 germinate through their exoskeleton, get into the muscles, right? They're controlling their muscles, and and uh, and that's how uh, you know they're sort of controlling the the, the the insect and and uh, you know there are studies where they've shown that it doesn't really go into their brain it's just controlling the muscle but uh, but it's implicated that small small molecules probably are are implicated in their in a moment but you know for example in other fungal species uh, you have there have been uh, noted that, that uh, for example, Massospora is a fungus that affects cicadas, right? The story was big recently. Uh, one of the mycologists, um, uh, Matt Kaysen, uh, from West Virginia University studied it. And uh, and they, they found that they were injecting these uh, cicadas with um, amphetamine and uh, uh, psilocybin like compounds right so to control their minds like to control their
0: behavior wow right? so, so psychedelics and and stimulants yeah, exactly, <laughs>
2: yeah. And l- exactly. let me interject one other thing because we keep talking about these nuggets of truth i, I-, I let me make sure we'll ask kuzefa i'm pretty sure that for it is only a few insects that actually get their bodies taken over if you will but i believe that they don't propel themselves properly right don't they kind of walk a little messed up not like a normal ant right, right and that is one of the things i do love about the show is that when the humans are infected it's not like they're just walking down the street yeah, they're they're kinda, it's 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 almost like their whole body doesn't just doesn't quite work right but they can still propel it forward yeah. sometimes like a dog sometimes like a human sometimes yeah. like almost like a bird right. and i i think that little nugget that's pretty good. Like yeah. that oh, that yeah. that took someone to really think about it. I loved
1: it. Right. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. Yeah. They 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 sort of have like different movements of, you know, walking yeah. out and trying to attack you and stuff. So that's yeah, that's great. Yeah. I love that part of it. <laughs> it's really yeah.
0: good. Yeah. So this are they are the insects still technically alive? Like they're living, they're still alive, they just completely lose control of their body and they're getting chemical signals from this fungus that's forcing its muscles to contract in this kind of weird way, or they're getting like psychedelic type compounds or stimulant like amphetamine to like, so totally drugging the body of the insect in some way to behave the way that's beneficial to the fungus.
1: In, in the case of Ophiocordyceps, I don't think there is evidence that they make these kind of compounds to to control their mind. But uh, other fungi do that, right? That's that's another uh, thing I was saying. Cicadas, for example, cicadas were recently uh, in the in the news, uh, uh, and the, the fungus that I was mentioning was Massospora. It's a fungus that can do that. It can, and you know, and fungi are capable of making these compounds that can control. But in case of Ophiocordyceps, the last of us show, I, I don't think they can make. Compounds we don't know at least they they may be making small molecules and we would love to we would love to work on that right we would we have uh, techniques where we can try to uh, look at in situ little uh, you know heads oh, yeah. of the, the ants and see if there is small molecules there right
0: you have to, to apply see. for a grant for this oh, this yeah. has got a yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. HBO so man
1: would HBO give us a
0: grant
1: you know <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So a you know,
2: nice thing to think about and who's ever can like weigh into this like. You can steal ideas from the entire fungal kingdom for HBO, right? But fungi are hyper diverse. We have a colleague at the Vanderbilt University who studies evolution in fungi, and he often makes the point: two fungi that have a very similar name, right? You and I would think, oh, you know, they're as related to us as like you and I, as, as humans are to primates, can actually be like super diverse, like the relationship between birds and fish. Am I right, Josefa? Do I have that right? Yes, yes. Yeah. That it's just so much diversity out there. So even though we all think of it as fungi and Josefa and I can get really down into the weeds of like, are they basidiomycetes or ascomycetes, which most listeners are not going to care about, but what you eat from the grocery store is a basidiomycete. And I think the the cordyceps is actually an ascomycete. Ascomycete. Yes, yes. A
1: ascomycete. uh, few cordyceps is ascomycetes, and ascomycetes are also morels. People allow to, it springs around the corner. People allow to hunt morels. Oh, and yeah. eat them, so they're also ascomycetes, right? So, but they're how you can see how diverse they are. One's like parasitizing insects, and then the other one you're consuming, right? Yeah. So, and, and so, yeah. and, so that's, it's the diversity, right? It's uh, unimaginable diversity out there.
0: Okay. So, so the last of us is certainly not the first, I guess, Hollywood production that centers around a concept from fungi. I'm thinking of course, of avatar, right? Mm -hmm. That was also kind of inspired by, I think it's uh, Suzanne Simard's work looking at kind of this, the, they call it the world, is it the world or the wood wide web, right? Where you have this, uh, Intersection of mycelia, of fungal mycelia under the ground. There's entire networks. And the idea was that perhaps communication is also happening beneath the ground through these fungal intermediaries. We saw some of this come out in the show, right? Where they, you know, the mycelia could kind of sense movement or they could kind of communicate and say, hey, there's, you know, food coming your way. Um, I was wondering if you guys could talk a little bit about that around like how, how organisms communicate through secondary metabolites and you know, how, how much of a nugget of truth was there in that kind of fungal communication, um, showcased on the show.
2: Oh, I, I have to say, I loved that component. That was another moment where I was like,
0: oh yeah, that's awesome.
2: This fungus way over there is talking to that human being, right. Pseudo human being. Um, you know, I, I'm just thinking about some of our own studies, Zepha, like what we're looking at. We, we study one fungus that produces an antifungal compound. It's actually an FDA-approved drug. We didn't discover it. It was discovered way back in the 70s. It's called griziofolvin. And we've done studies showing that the fungus will send that molecule to the periphery. So like, if you, when you grow fungi in a petri dish, they kind of grow in a circular format. So it sends it out to the periphery kind of makes sense because you can imagine as the fungus is trying to grow it wants to push other things away interestingly though we did a study once where we we had a fungus that it was competing against so there's a fungus on top and then the one that makes the antifungal on bottom and if you sampled around the periphery the molecule that's got antifungal properties was really only headed up towards where the other fungus was i have no idea how it knew that right it can't see it can't hear so there's some chemical signal saying Let's let, because you got to remember, nature is going to try to preserve energy. Everything takes ATP, which is like energy for us. Right. And. Somehow it's deciding, don't send it south in that dish where there's nothing down there, send it north where we've got to go fight this other fungus, is that what you want to weigh in on that? You yeah, yeah,
1: that we saw that in our in our, our research and uh, we we it was very interesting. Right. It, and and the, the way the fungi grow, basically, right, for the audience, uh, they are basically uh growing inside out right the outer part of the fungal mycelium and the hyphae are the are the youngest right so it's basically going in search for food right you can imagine you you uh you have the fungus growing almost like a snake from inside and it's going everywhere it sees food right it's just growing towards the food right and so that that concept was really well taken like you can it can sense where the food is and it's going towards the food and in this case a human is coming and so these guys are all waking up and going towards the the you know the food and and uh, and the way they, they they do it is like you know fungi have uh, uh their digestive systems inside like we we eat food and we digest it in our stomachs right fungi what they do is they eat their food outside and then they take them in right so it's like an inside out digestive system they sec- secrete extracellular enzymes that go and break down the food and then they take the food in right that's how fungi grow so so i think uh Basically, that's the way they communicate. That's the way they're growing. And uh, you know what, what? we have noticed is when we grow fungi in the lab, when we give them a media that are not very rich in sugars, they will grow out. Right? They're go- they're going out like they're trying to reach. And sometimes when we give a lot of sugar, for example, um, a potato-based media, it, it'll it'll grow like very closely because it doesn't really have to spend energy, like Nick said. Right? It's, yeah, it doesn't it's have to forge potato it's yeah. not and that time what they do is also they don't produce small molecules right because they don't need it right they don't need to spend the energy to make the the secondary metabolites right so so that that's the way these guys grow yeah
0: well i think this speaks to i think a common misconception that people have both about plants and fungi i think many see plants and fungi as static unmoving creatures when in reality, they are incredibly dynamic. They are communicating constantly. With they're they're sending out cells. At least for the fungi, are sending out cells to get to the resources they need. Um, mm-hmm. Plants are signaling, sending out signals to other mobile creatures in the in the in the environment to get what they need. Um, I just yeah. think that it's incredible. There's so much chatter. There's this chemical chatter happening. It's a whole other set of languages that yeah. we're kind of not really tuned into yet, but we're getting better at it right through chemical detection, analytical chemistry techniques. But man, if I, if I had a magic power, and maybe this could be, uh, you know, a, 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 an idea for a future show. It's like, if, if you could learn to somehow tap into that language of nature, to be able to interpret and read what the plants are saying to each other, what the fungi are saying to each other, that would be pretty cool.
2: Yeah. And, you know, and there's, as, as, you know, you <laughs> often study what I call folkloric things from from plants. Uh, you know, I can remember, so that, that concept, I forget the name of the woman who came up with the concept of the wood, wild web. What is that? What is her name?
0: Uh, I think it's Suzanne Simmered.
2: Yeah. So mm-hmm. I remember reading about her and and thinking about my own grandfather, actually my great grandfather. We were transplanting trees once, you know, just small little trees moving around his property. And and he would was almost obsessed with like, take, take some of the dirt, not just like the dirt that you need around the root ball. He would take like almost like a little coffee can full of the dirt in the area and throw it in the bottom of the new hole. And his argument was, well, that helps the tree grow, right? He just knew that if you're gonna transplant this tree, you need to bring some of the dirt that it was growing in. Well, obviously he's doing an experiment, not looking at it now, the obvious thing is he's doing an experiment where he's bringing the microorganisms from that soil to this new spot that we wanna give it so that it's kind of like the fungi, the bacteria, the nematodes, the worms, whatever else is in that good rich soil are communicating with this new little sapling that we're trying to get going um, and trying to give it a little boost, right? I mean, that concept, which I think many, many people know about if you talk to somebody who plants trees, is certainly based on this concept of like organisms communicating with each other mutually, beneficially.
0: no, for sure. I mean, it, it it's all about it's all about this um, it's all about this communication. So we've talked about lots of things that we loved in the show um, we loved the, you know, some of the different nuggets of truth as we've discussed, but were there things that you didn't like about the show? I'm curious, like what were things that you're like, no, they should have done it a little bit differently.
2: Oh, uh, I've, I've got, I've got two things I'll say, and then I'll let Huzefa weigh in. Cause I think he can geek out way more on the mycology. The two, I, I have to say, I don't love the violence. Okay. <laughs> like, like, I mean, you know, it's based on a video game and there are moments where I, okay. I can see where it's going down this video game route. But what I mean by that is it bums me out that like this one, like let's call it a tribe or group of humans suddenly doesn't trust that tribe just because they don't know each other. I would like to believe there's so few humans out there. Shouldn't we all be, you know, a happy little family and repopulating the earth or forming little communities? Like that kind of bums me out. And and I guess That wouldn't make for good drama right so i get it they need that but i don't i don't love that but i I think from a mycology perspective the one thing that i think is a is again it works for the show in a way i'm not going to give away for the last episode but uh people get bitten and man they're infected quickly you know it seems like they know right away they can maybe see something on their skin and then they're going down this deep dark path within 24 hours and And while some fungi, we just told you, like, some fungi will grow really well at 37 degrees. Boy, human beings are a pretty big thing to infect and and really take over. So um, I guess, again, that wouldn't work. (laughs) You know, we can't just have people waiting around for 45 minutes on the show. We need drama. But ah, I was a little too quick for my taste. Fungi typically don't grow. one, One reason people don't study fungi as much as they study bacteria, E. coli replicate like every four hours. Is that right? Is that right? like the doubling time on E. coli is far quicker than even the fastest fungus. Right. So you want to study them in the lab. You got to spend a little more time. And uh, yeah, they've accelerated that for the show.
1: Yeah, go ahead. Who's yeah, I, I agree with Nick on the on the violence, part. I was uh, not a big fan of that. I also do not play a lot of video games. So I, you know, all the shooting and all of that was, uh, you know, but uh, it's it's a for me, it's a fantastic show. I cannot complain. I absolutely love the show. And uh, you know, I would be like, it would be nice uh, to uh, to see more uh, zombies in the show. Uh, sometimes there are episodes where you know we,
0: we don't see a lot of fungal <laughs> zombies. You're house, you're like so. too much drama in
1: humans.
0: Where's the fungus?
2: fungus. Uh, it's <laughs> funny. I'm, so to, I'm to the opposite. <laughs> I love it. Yeah.
1: So I'd love to have the fungal zombies in more, but I know that if that happens, the shooting is going to increase, next. So, but yeah. but yeah. I love the show. I absolutely love it.
0: I loved it too. I have one thing though, that bothered me. Um, It was the reliance on this gross old canned food. Okay. Yes. They had a few scenes where there were hunters getting rabbits and things, but where are all the foragers? Like (laughs) They're walking around this area with so many wild foods right there. Uh, I mean, fresh greens. I mean, people would just be super malnourished with the kind of foods they were relying on or just, you can't just, you know, or relying solely on agriculture when they're trying to make these transitions. But I'm like dandelion greens, you know, um, hen and chicks, chicory, wild fruits. I mean, there's just so much. And I was like, and then they're like, they're going to these like old cans of chef Boyardee. I'm like, Oh man, there's so much we, they could have done to like educate the public about wild foods. That would have been so cool. So that's like, that's my one criticism. And maybe if someone out there, one of the writers in the show, if there's any chance you're listening, please, please get some foraging into the next season, because I think that would just be so amazing. Um, yeah. You, know, you could put a
2: twist on that too, right? Because like,
0: yeah. would you forage mushrooms
2: or not? Like, everyone's probably oh. pretty freaked out by fungi now, but there are quite a few fungi you can eat from the wild. You know, we were talking about morels and, and yeah. things like that. But would you be like, oh, no, I don't want to eat that. You know, I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah yeah that's a good that's a good twist it's like which of these do we eat i don't know, um, you know my colleagues
1: always say bad taxonomy kills so you, want to be <laughs> careful. you need to know your mushrooms right yes so oh, yeah. you need to know the taxonomic names you don't want to make sure you don't want to eat anything that's you know not uh not uh you know identified incorrectly if you will so i think that's very important uh I'm yeah. sure the plants right
0: yeah, well, I guess they don't have the internet any longer either. So it's like it's not like they just Google, oh, is this the right, you know, or put it onto one of the apps to see if it's the right plant or not. Um, but you could always go to a library and like raid for like their their foraging handbooks. I mean, I think when it comes to um, you know, there are some very common plants that you could and fungi that you could just stay away from any that have very, you know, closely related lookalikes, you know, there are plenty of things that don't have, you know, such a source of
2: confusion but i don't know i think one thing i i kind of like if we go with the converse of that um and i'm thinking about the fact that in the background behind you is a whole bookshelf of books and there's some behind me and if you go down to huzefa's lab lots of books like i do like the fact that um you know like maps are now super precious yeah, you I are don't own map. I don't
0: own maps. Exactly. I don't own maps. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point.
2: And and book, like even books even books. to kids mm-hmm. like there's a book that's like how did you get that book? You know where did mm-hmm. you find that book? Right? And now what you could get a book delivered to you in 24 hours or less, right? Yeah. So I would love to believe that maybe there's a little bit of appreciation of like, hmm, maybe we should be reading, but maybe that's <laughs> my the professor in me who gets annoyed with all the students who just you know Google everything, right? So,
0: <laughs> So what's the takeaway? I think the takeaway is, if the end times comes and there's a fungal apocalypse, you should definitely try and find our little village. Oh
2: yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. we would have a great one. We would have a great village, man. No, one no violence. No violence. Yeah, no violence. Lots of
0: lots of great lots of great uh things to forage and eat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Medicines yeah. from plants. We'll have you covered. So. <laughs> have food. the
1: streams. like we we'll would have. The, uh, I can go collect. Uh, <laughs> you yeah, know, Yeah, you guys
0: yeah, can find first. the next cure. I
2: mean it'll be great yeah, we can recycle <laughs> cures like i mean we you know yeah. we all know the natural products history we'll just recycle it people think we were geniuses like oh my gosh wow what mm-hmm. is this thing
0: that's fighting this infection
2: oh i don't know wait
0: wait sh- <laughs> don't give away the secrets for the future here <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. oh my gosh this has been so much fun i want to thank you guys for coming on the show um yeah, we have to. We'll have, maybe we'll have to revisit for next season if they, if they Absolutely. come out with another season because. Yeah. And maybe, and I swear, if they do have some foraging in the next season, I'm going to lose my mind. It's going to be so <laughs> awesome.
2: <laughs> I love it. It's, hey, I, I had a great pleasure with it. I, as everybody in my world says, like we we love this, just as Susanna said. So thank yeah, you I love for having that. us.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for yeah. having us.
0: Yeah. Thank you. All right, foodies, you've been listening to Foodie Pharmacology the Science Podcast for the Food Curious, recorded for you today on Restream. I want to thank our amazing producers, Rob Cohen and Christine Roth from Co-Conspiracy Entertainment, for putting on a fabulous show for you all every week. Um, If you want to help us out with production costs, you can do that two fabulous ways. You can head over to Buy Me a Coffee. I would love to get some extra caffeine into my day. It's at buymeacoffee.com slash Pharma. Or if you're interested in getting some fun swag, we have amazing coffee cups and bags and t-shirts and all kinds of cool things with Foodie Pharmacology logos on it. And you can find those at mysterycontrol.com. All right. That's our show for today. Stay healthy out there and I'll see you next time.